Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Good morning. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Ocean View. Thank you so much for being here with us this morning as we kick off this new series over the next few weeks, this idea of what are you waiting for. And before we jump into it, I just need to let you know, like I was an English major, words have different, uh, maybe you're like this, words have different images for me or uh, associations with like pictures or smells or anything like that. Some of you can relate to this. And so when I hear a word, there's usually an image, a picture, a smell, or a sound, something that I associate with it. But there's one word that I've been looking at over the last couple of weeks that I, I really, it's hard for me to kind of pinpoint, and it's the word anticipate. When I say that word, I don't know what comes to mind for you when I say the word anticipate. I certainly don't think of this definition that we have here, to look forward to as certain, to give advanced thought, discussion, or treatment to. That's not like the definition that I think of. My, my image in my mind, when I think of the word anticipate, it usually is somebody like this. Just like, not really sure what's going to happen. It's almost like they're anticipating. But the definition implies that they're waiting for something they are certain of. And so for me, the idea of anticipation is a little harder to grasp. Uh, and and that's, that's different for me. I don't really have something that I associate with it. And I am going to blame this on television. Television gets the blame for a lot of things. So I am going to decide today that we can blame television for our lack of understanding about anticipation. Now, you might be wondering, how is that possible? I will tell you. I will give you a brief history lesson about television. Here's a thing about anticipation. Typically, uh, you know, when movies were first a thing, people would get dressed up to go to, it was a big event to go to a movie. And then what happened was we took this box and we put it in people's living rooms. And now, like movies, television, entertainment could enter into your living room. And then TV studios became a thing and they started making shows, and every week there would be an episode, right? An episode of a show. And if you liked it, then you would tune in next week for the next episode, right? And that's typically how it would go. And episodes would run, uh, at least when they were first a thing, for 30 plus episodes in a season. And then the season would end, there would be a break, and then the next season would start. And we still have that to this day in some form or fashion. There are episodes, right? Well, then uh, I Love Lucy did something great, which I love that show, by the way. And Desi Arnaz invented the rerun. And the rerun was invented to kind of fill the gap in between those seasons so that uh, when someone needed a break or if there was a break in the season, you didn't have to wait a few months for your show to start and kick back in. You could still track along week to week with maybe an episode that you liked before, right? So now we, we had reruns after a while. And then they got really smart and they just started, decided to start syndicating 
TV shows. You know about that? This is when they could sell back catalogs of TV shows to local affiliate stations. Typically, this still happens once a show reaches 100 episodes, they'll start syndicating it. And this is why you can watch shows that you like in the afternoons, like at 4 or 5 o'clock on different cable channels or on Saturdays or in the middle of the night or whatever. It's because these shows are syndicated. And so now you don't even have to wait for reruns. You can just watch them pretty much any time. And that's kind of what happened. And then we invented this amazing machine called the VCR. Some of you remember this. VCR was a big deal. I remember my family rented a VCR so that we could watch rented movies. Really weird, right? But we had a VCR. And a VCR, if you were smart enough and you took the right college degree course, you were able to program a VCR to actually record television shows while you were away out of the house or even while you were watching something else. And then you could keep them, you could watch multiple episodes at once if you wanted to. It was an amazing thing. Then we moved into the digital era and we invented the DVR, right? This was TiVo was like the first big one, right? Some of you had a TiVo and now it's a coaster in your basement, but you have a TiVo. And TiVo allowed you to record shows digitally, and you could save them and keep them for a really long time. And then we invented DVDs. Now, DVDs were great because what these studios then did was they took all of these old shows that you knew and loved, and they released them in box sets on DVD. I own many of them of I Love Lucy. This is a true story. And so I, you can watch the entire series. But then ABC got really smart, and they did something pretty spectacular. They started releasing an entire season of a show before the next season of the show aired. You'll know this because of Lost. You remember Lost? Not the first show to do this, but it was an important one because they were like, man, people missed episodes. They want to catch up. They want to rewatch to find the details and figure out stuff. So they're going to release a whole season at once before the next season starts. And then we had On Demand, which is where you could just like like the cable service would just give you things on demand. And then we get into streaming, and that's from Netflix. Netflix gave us a lot of streaming things, and they noticed that people were renting DVDs, watching them all at once. It was called marathon viewing. They would watch them all at once. And so Netflix decided that when they release TV shows, they're just going to drop the whole season all at once. You don't have to wait anymore. You, you don't have to wait week to week. That thing is gone, and now we have binge watching. Some of you do this. This is where a show comes out and you watch the entire show over the course of like two days. You'll watch 24 hour-long episodes. It happens. I talk to students, they do this. It's, I'm like, did you sleep this weekend? They're like, no, Stranger Things dropped. I was like, okay, cool, all right. So that's what happens. Now there's binge watching and this happens. You don't have to wait week to week anymore. You only have to wait about 10 seconds. And if you hit the button, you don't even have to wait those 10 seconds. You can just skip next to the next to the next. Anticipation is not something that we are good at. In fact, it's just TV, you see, has killed that feeling of anticipation over time. In fact, I would say that the habit of now is in direct conflict with the hope of anticipation. And it's not just television. It's just that embedded in our culture, embedded in us as people, is this desire for the next thing now. We don't like waiting. We don't like the feeling of anticipation. It causes some of us anxiety. 
because we don't like it that much. It's not just TV. We see it in other ways as well. Uh, it used to be that kids growing up, the driver's license was the thing they looked forward to the most. They anticipated the most. That has since been replaced with the cell phone. So the younger kids get a cell phone, the less they have to look forward. This is a true thing. And so now uh, they get their cell phone and there's less to look forward to. We don't want to anticipate anything else. It happens with us as adults when we know that we need something or want something from a store. Why wait? We don't need to wait. We'll just go on Amazon. We'll order it. It will be here in two days because driving somewhere or working it into our pattern of the week just that's too much. Or maybe they won't even have it. I can't wait. I just need to know that I have it right now. We don't save for things. We put it on credit cards because we need to have it right now. This happens just all the time. And, and the things that we are forced to wait for, we really dread. Christmas, for example. Man, it comes every, you can't change it. You can't speed it up. It's not coming any faster. It's the same time. And for some of us, it's like, I just can't wait till it's over can't wait to get to it and be done with it because that anticipation builds. We don't like that feeling of anticipation anymore. And Target knows this. That's why the day after Christmas is Valentine's Day because they don't want us to have to worry about it anymore. The habit that we have built in ourselves of now is in direct conflict with the hope of anticipation. And the reason that that is a problem for us, especially as we are followers of Jesus, is that anticipation is a key part of our discipleship. Anticipation is a key component of our discipleship. And maybe you've never thought of that before, but Jesus actually speaks to this. And here's the thing, even before Jesus, it was spoken to. From the very beginning, when God made the world and it was perfect, and Adam and Eve were there, and then they sin, and sin enters the world, and now all of us have sin in our lives. From that moment forward, God immediately started pointing everyone forward in anticipation that Jesus was going to come. He gave a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. It continued on through Moses and through David that something better is coming. Look ahead through all the prophets. Look ahead. Look ahead. And then Jesus shows up and even Jesus himself says, hey, this isn't it. I'm going to point you ahead. I'm going to keep pointing you to what's next. And John wrote this down. Jesus said this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus points his followers ahead. Even before he dies, even before he's resurrected, he's already letting them know, hey, this isn't it. There's more. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come back. We typically read that passage uh, at funerals or when we lose a loved one. It's a place of comfort for us. It reminds us that this world that you and I live in is temporal. That this is not our home. This is not our kingdom. There's a better one coming and that Jesus gave us that promise. But it wasn't just supposed to be thought of at funerals. It's supposed to be integrated into our daily lives. Jesus taught that as well. 
There's a moment where Jesus is teaching and he, he's speaking to so many different things. He's speaking to our worries and the things that stress us out. He's speaking to how sometimes we try to take control. He's like, no, no, just trust me every step of the way. Your God loves you. He's going to provide for you. And in the middle of all that, Jesus, it's almost like a left turn. He speaks to this. He says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and we'll come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus, even he, pointing his followers ahead to what's next. And that's a lot. That's a lot to take in. Be ready. Be alert. Be diligent. Man, that's a very clear indication for you and I. But how do we do that, especially when we live in the here and the now, when we live with uh, our relationships that are broken, where we live in conflict every single day, trying to resolve the next thing that's right in front of us? When we allow our selfish desires and pleasures and wants that sometimes we disguise as needs to get into our way. How do we live like that? It becomes very difficult. And yet Jesus says, wait, there's more. I am coming back. I think as followers of Jesus... Like, we, we believe that. I think as followers of Jesus, we intellectually understand that there is a promise that, that Jesus one day is going to return for you and I. I think intellectually we understand that. But here is the question. Do we live like we believe that? This is not a new question. In fact, this is a question that has been, been stated even in the early church. Even the people who lived beside Jesus, who saw him be resurrected, even the early church followers were asked this question, are you going to live like you believe it? John, Peter, Paul, they all spoke to this idea that we should look ahead because looking ahead gives us insight and light on how we should live right now. It's always in the content. Listen, when they write about looking ahead, about looking to the day of Christ's return, about looking to what's next, it's always in the context of how should that affect how you and I live right now today. It's not a, it's not a separate idea. I think sometimes because of that anticipate, like we don't like anticipate, we just kind of separate the two, two ideas. We don't really allow that thought to permeate into our daily life, but, but that is not how it should be. Peter even writes to this. Peter was there that day when Jesus kind of took that left turn and started speaking about his return one day. Peter was in the crowd. In fact, he asked a question, so he's really dialed in, really tuned in to what Jesus was saying. So I imagine Peter referencing that moment when he writes his letters and he writes things like this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, Above all, you must understand 
that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They're going to say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Peter understood something. And keep in mind, Peter was there for it. Peter was there. He... Like Jesus said, hey, I'm coming back. I imagine Peter living the rest of his life completely believing that he was going to see Christ return before he died. And the older he got and the more time passed, maybe the more skeptical he became. Did Jesus really mean what he said? Is he really going to be coming? And then he passes and he is telling the church, hey, listen, I I believe he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. I grew up in church. I'm, I'm a church brat. I grew up in church my whole life. And I have been told that the end of the world has been coming for 33 years, since I was five. Uh, some of you have had that experience. Um, every presidential election, Jesus is coming back. Y2K, Jesus is coming back. European Union, Jesus is coming back. Any big world cataclysmic event, uh, any peace treaty signed having anything to do with the Middle East, Jesus is coming back. Like that, that was it. That was growing up. Some of you understand that. Uh, you're laughing because you, you get it, right? You've experienced that as well. There's been entire book series written about this subject, and people ate it up. And they were like, oh, man, yeah, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And every world event, we would say, oh, that's, that's just a sign. This is a sign. Jesus is coming back. When I say this phrase, some of you bristle end times. You're like, <gasps> like, you immediately, like, feel the pressure of some kind of past experience of end times. Somebody saying something about end times, the world ending, it's awful, all that good stuff. For some of us, that, that's a weird thing to talk about. And for some of us, uh, we, we just talk about it flippantly. We're just like, oh, man, I had a really bad day. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. <laughs> oh, these kids are driving me crazy. Jesus, please come back. <laughs> and we do that. Uh, my mom, I tease my mom about this all the time. There's, you know, if it's a really cloudy day like we've experienced over the last few days, if there's an opening in the clouds and the sun rays are shooting through, my mom will say, oh, look at that. That's so pretty. Looks like Jesus is coming back. That's what she'd say. And we just had to have that in us for some of us. It's just there. And there was so much emphasis placed on this idea that Jesus is coming back that we started looking for all the little things, all the little details, and we started asking, well, when is he coming? When is he coming? When is he coming? And that's no different than the question that the early church was asked. I bet Peter asked that question a thousand times. When is he coming? He's got to be coming soon. But Peter understood something different, and it's a question that you and I need to ask ourselves. The question is not When is he coming? That is the wrong question to ask. The question to ask is because he is coming, how should I live? Because Jesus is who he says he is, because he is God's son, because he died and rose again, because he promised that he will one day return, because he promised that this is not our home, how should I live right now, today? I think Peter understood that the older that he got. And he was writing that to this very young church. He went on to say this, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, 
And a thousand years are like a day. Now, some people are like, oh, see, it's only been two days since Jesus left. That's not what he's saying. Don't do the math on that. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You understand it's not about time. It is about God's patience. Thank God for his patience. He is patient because he wants more people to know him. He is patient because he wants you and I as his followers to help others follow Jesus. He is patient because maybe you're in this room and you've been struggling with whether or not to follow Jesus, whether or not to accept him, to surrender all to him, and he is being very patient with you. It's not when is he coming, but because he is coming, how should we live? That every day I am continuing to be sanctified by him. That every day I am turning away from sin. That every day I am finding ways to live my life for him. To make it more about him and less about me. Because he is coming, it should change the way that I live right now. He is being patient with us. So that more people can know him. And that those who know him can be more like him. Peter continued this. He said, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. See, that makes me think that he was remembering what Jesus said. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, here it is. What kind of people ought you to be? Not later, but right now. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. He's kind of saying, yeah, we know all that. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, because you are looking ahead, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. We have a lens, you see, to view today through eternity. Here's the thing. When we start looking at what is going to happen about his return, it should change how we live right now. It's like they're glasses that we get to put on. It doesn't, listen, it doesn't negate or dismiss the things that you and I go through every single day. It doesn't mean, hey, man, that, that's not a big problem. You know why? Because Jesus is coming back, and so you don't even have to worry about this. That is not what he's saying. Instead, because of that, put these glasses on and view what's happening in your world through this lens of eternity. That what seems like the futility of the day-to-day kind of stuff is actually part of the promise of the fulfillment of tomorrow. It's a different way of looking at ourselves, a different way of looking at our world, a different way of understanding what it means to live in light of eternity. It should change us and shape us. What's unique about you and I as followers of Jesus in this present time is that you and I If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. You understand that in the culmination and the arc of human history, we are, like, there is less time 
on earth in the arc of human history with, with the Holy Spirit living inside of people who are following Jesus than there is without. Like, the Holy Spirit came to live in those who claim Jesus as their own only after Jesus' resurrection. Before that, we didn't have it. You're kind of on your own. But now, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to send you some help. You're not going to have to do this on your own. You're still going to be looking ahead. But I am going to give you the Holy Spirit if you're a follower. And that is going to spark that hope of anticipation. And not just when you think about it, but every single day. I think over time, we probably feel that spark and we're just like, oh, no, no, I'm busy. No, 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 there's a lot going on right now. The habit of now is dismissing that hope of anticipation and it quiets it down until it's hardly there. That's why Peter, John, Paul, they all wrote to this. Because there was an urgency that they understood. And I think they understood that it wasn't just the urgency in their lifetime, but there was an urgency that had to translate into every single day life because Jesus is who he says he was, because he is coming back, because there is a promise. Peter wrote this in his first letter, chapter 4. He said, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter gives us a prescription, kind of a, like, here, here's the plan. You want to live today in light of eternity? Here is kind of what I would suggest. And he lays all this out for us. Now at Ocean View, we kind of look at this in the lens of dials, these gears that kind of are all kind of interconnected. And no matter how long you've been following Jesus, whether it's for a day or whether it's for years and years, we always have a turn that we can make. There's always a step. We've never fully arrived in our relationship with Jesus. And so I don't know what it looks like for you today, but here's what I do know. I do know that God is giving us opportunity today. His patience is giving us opportunity so that if you do not have a relationship with him, guess what? His patience is giving you the opportunity to change that today. If you have decided to follow Jesus, but you haven't gone public with that, like, like you've kind of been hiding it, or maybe you're like, man, I'm, I'm just not sure. Listen, you understand you can go public, you can be baptized, you can join in fellowship with other believers to celebrate that. And God has given you opportunity today. He is patiently giving you that opportunity. If you've been following Jesus for a while, and maybe that spark of hope, of anticipation, man, it just hasn't translated into your daily life, guess what? He is patient. He is giving you opportunity right now, today, to change that. So let's just look at what Peter said, and which one of these maybe do you need to identify with. One is simply to be alert. That's what he said to start. Be alert. Like what is your daily reminder that helps you remember to live for eternity? Maybe it is 
clouds and then sunbeams shining through. If it reminds you that, man, this is not my home, this is not the end, Jesus is returning, I should change how I live right now today. What is it? Is it, is it praying before your feet even hit the ground, surrendering that? What is that for you? Peter says, hey, pray. Make sure that when you pray, you are asking the Holy Spirit to show you what kind of eternal impact you can have. That as you go through your day, that you are cognizant, you are aware of how the Holy Spirit can use you for an eternal impact. Peter tells us to love. And I just look at that as seeing people the way that God sees them. And that's hard for us because we live in a very self-centric, consumer-oriented society where even the people who wait on us at a restaurant, like, do we see them the way that God sees them? Do we see them that they are made in his image? Do we see them that they have the potential to know God the way that we do? Do we love others? Are you hospitable? That just means, hey, are you pleasant to be around? You don't get to answer that for yourself. <laughs> like, you have to ask other people, like, am I pleasant to be around? Are you making way for other people? Or, or are you just all about you? When you enter, like, are you hosp- just basic? We're talking about basic human decency, right? right? Are you hospitable? Are you using your gift to serve others? If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have a gift. And you should use your gift to serve others. It's not meant for you to keep in your pocket. It's not meant for you to just sit around with. Like You are designed to ha- with a gift to use it to serve others. One of my mentors would say this a lot. He said, we assemble, as followers of Jesus, we assemble for the benefit of the body. So that we can help one another look more and more like Jesus. But we exist as followers of Jesus for the benefit of the world. Meaning that we have gifts to serve one another and we have gifts to serve in this world. So are you using your gift to serve others? Are you a good steward of grace? And here's the thing about grace. God gives it to us so much. He doesn't withhold it. So are you a good steward of grace? Are you withholding it or are you amplifying it? Some of us need to extend grace to people in our lives that we have not done that to yet. Are you speaking life? Peter says, hey, speak life. This isn't your world. This isn't your kingdom. Like, remember, this is is all temporal. So maybe you would help if you read God's word and you put it in your mind and your heart so that as you go through every single day, you can live with the words of a forever kingdom, not the words of gloom and despair of this world. Maybe we should focus on that language and not this world's language because we give life and hope with our words. Are you an open vessel Are you allowing God to use you and work through you? Are you saying yes to let his strength sustain you through whatever it is that he has called you to do? And here's the great thing. When we do all of that, when we live that way, guess what? It's still not about us. We get to give Jesus all the glory every day, all the time, forever. Peter said, make every effort. Not some. Make every effort 
effort. It's a tall order, but we're not alone. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have his spirit to guide you in that, to live every day in light of that promise. So the question really then is just one, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What's holding you back? What's standing in your way? If you know, and you would feel it now in this moment, or you have felt it at some point in your life, if you know that you need to start following Jesus, you need to surrender your life to him, you need to ask him to forgive you of your sins and begin a relationship with him, like you just know it, you have felt his spirit come upon you, then what is holding you back? What are you waiting for? If that has happened and you just haven't told anybody, you haven't gone public with that, man, what are you waiting for? What is standing in the way of that? If you're not using the gifts that God has given you, if you're not extending grace to others, if you're not speaking life to other people, what are you waiting for? Because in light of that promise, it's very clear we make every effort right now, today. We get off the bench and we start living out what he has called us to do. So what's your next step? It's not more waiting, but it's living every day, living every day with that anticipation. It changes me. Will you pray with me? God, thank you that you always give us a hope. You always point us to a promise God, will you forgive us when we just kind of live and go through our day not mindful that this, this is not our story, it's yours. God, forgive us when we get caught up in this habit of now, but let us live in the hope of anticipation, the hope of your return, of your promise. And that in the waiting of your patience, God, you are giving us now opportunity to know you. You are giving us opportunity to share your love with others. Don't let us miss it. Don't let us stay on the bench. God, what are we waiting for? God, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you, who doesn't have a relationship with you, that maybe they've just been waiting, God, I ask that your spirit would overwhelm them now they would simply confess you as their Lord and Savior. They would ask you to forgive them of their sins and they would enter into a life of surrender to you. That their life is not their own anymore, it is bought by you. God, for those of us in this room that would say we are followers of you, God, would you help us to live it? Would you help us to live alert, to pray? to see how you can use us to amplify grace. God, thank you for your spirit that gives us the power to do it if we just allow you to, if we just say yes. God, we ask that you would do that in our lives individually. We ask that you would do that the life of our church corporately as we come together. That in light of your promise, in light of your return, that it would change how we live right now, today.
and tomorrow and the next day. And don't let us lose sight of that. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.